Like George said, my name is Savannah. Um, Some of you I know, I've had the privilege of doing life with you and being in ministry. So I've actually been looking for an excuse to come here. (laughs) So I was really, really excited um, when George and Sarah um, invited me here. Um, I just love what God is doing in City Light. I love that God is establishing you and planning you. um, And I believe that he has massive, massive, massive things for this body. And so I couldn't be more excited to just kind of, I kind of feel like Paul. Like I feel like I have got to come and be a part of something that God is doing in another little corner of this city. And it's encouraging to me um, that God is doing things all over this city. And so um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself so you're not like, who is this person and why did she get the mic? Um, I, um, about four years ago, had a radical encounter with the Lord. um, And he he set me free. He took me out of the muck and the mire and he set my feet on solid ground. And Um, I've never been the same. He just totally altered my path, and I just fall in love with Jesus every single day. And um, about two months into this wild roller coaster of being a Christian, I was in the house of prayer of Toledo, and I I prayed the most dangerous prayer I've ever prayed in my life, and I said, God, I want to be about your business. And I was laying on um, the floor, and I was just getting pounded by the presence of the Lord, and I looked up. And in front of me in the house of prayer was this map. And on this map, there were um, little red X's. And those little red X's stood for um, every abortion-performing facility in our city. Um, and I'm standing here um, today to tell you that as of no um, of my own work, um, but because of the prayers of the saint and the faithfulness of our God, that there is only one red X left on, my, on that map. There is no other... Um, and that red X is about to be um, no red X. Um, it's facing a court decision. Um, and we're about to be the largest city in the United States without an abortion performing facility. God is not finished with this city. He's not done here. Yeah, he's doing great and mighty things. And there have been people who've been praying for years and years before I even was a glimmer in the eye of the Lord. People have been contending for the ending of abortion in our city, and God is answering. And I remember being before the Lord one day and saying, God, if you're answering, what does that mean for me? He says, that means that you have a responsibility to be the hands and the feet. God is being faithful, and he's calling us to also be faithful. So I got up off that um, floor in the house of prayer, and I said, God, I will not, um, I won't shut up. I won't let up. I'm not going to give up until I see the ending of abortion in this city. And I prayed that prayer with no faith. I was like, I'm going to be working my whole entire life. I'm going to be striving and praying and contending and fasting my whole life before I ever see abortion end in this city. And I'm standing in the reality, the soon-to-be reality of that place. And God is just absolutely amazing. And I'm going to ask you to just bear with me. (laughs) You know, I knew that when the Lord called me to be a messenger for life, that it wasn't going to be an easy thing. I mean, it's one of the biggest controversial topics of our day. It's one of the most taboo subjects of our day. And I've wrestled with the Lord. Why can't I talk about something easy? Why can't I share on something easy? 
I just over and over and over again have just been washed with him. Savannah, my walk wasn't easy. The things that I had to stand and do and stand and say, they weren't easy. They're hard pills to swallow. So I'm just asking before you throw stones at me or tune out or hate me, that you would just bear with me. The Bible says that we should bear with one another in love. And so if you'll just give me um, grace to kind of wrestle through this with you, I think that we can come out um, on the same page. And there are going to be some things that we're going to agree to disagree on. It's the beauty of the gospel. There are going to be things that Maybe you understand that I don't understand yet. And there are going to be things that I understand that maybe you don't understand yet. And that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and why he calls us to be a body. And I love that we started or ended worship or middle of worship singing. It's your presence. In your presence, all fear is gone. In your presence. You know, and this is a messy, messy subject. This isn't something that you can dance through or, or walk through. This is wading through muck and mire because people have a lot of preconceived ideas and a lot of preconceived notion and a lot of baggage that they bring to the table when we talk about controversial issues. And so I just want to pray now that God, his perfect love would be here and it would cast out fear. It would cast out the fear of the unknown, that it would cast out the fear of past hurt and past brokenness. God, we come to you right now, God, and I'm asking that your perfect love would rest in this place. God, we thank you that it's your perfect love that casts out fear. And so we just come into your presence right now, knowing that all fear has to bow its knee in Jesus' name. You know, when the Lord called me to this, the insatiable burning in my heart was for the unborn. God just began to open up his word to me about how he feels about the unborn. And one of the first things that he revealed to me was this, that when we become a child of the king, we lose our right to our own opinion. We don't get to have our own opinion anymore. If we really truly want to take up our, cr our cross and follow him, that means that we have to deny our own opinions. It means that we don't have a right to come to the table with what we think. I don't get to come to the table and say, this is what I think. I've lost my right to an opinion. And the only opinion that I get to proclaim and the only opinion that I get to carry is the opinion of King Jesus. He is king and his opinion and his opinion alone is what matters. And so I, I went to him and I said, Jesus, if your opinion is the only opinion that matters, what is your opinion on life? What do you say about life? And I began to read these scriptures, these scriptures that say six things that the Lord hates and seven that he finds detestable. And one of those things is the shedding of innocent blood. Ouch. And I began to read in, in Ephesians and in Corinthians that the physical human frame, the body, not the soul, the body, the physical frame that we have upon Jesus' death and resurrection was meant to be a temple to house the glory of the Lord. That these, these physical things, the angels in heaven, they say, I don't understand. 
We are such a mystery, our human frame, our bodies. I'm not talking about our souls or, or our emotions or our minds or our wills. I'm talking about our human physical frame. That the New Testament says that they were designed to contain the glory of the Lord. And that the temple itself, if people came into that presence and they were unholy, they fell dead. And that same presence is meant to exist in our frames. That he created our frames. Corey Russell from the International House of Prayer says, if you took that and you put it into the largest um, mansion in the world, that that mansion would explode because it wasn't created to contain the glory of the Lord. We're not talking about a political issue here. See, that's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy has taken the political spirit and it's gone over these issues and it's, it's disguised and masked itself. And the reason that I know that this is not a political issue, because every year there are 1.2 million abortions in the United States every single year. But that number is only 2% of the worldwide abortions. You can go into every kind of political system that there is, and abortion is happening. You can go to countries where they're conservative, and they've got biblical morals, and abortion is happening. You can go into the um, remote um, jungle environments where no government exists. There's no such thing as the left or the right, the right or the wrong, and abortion is happening. This is not a political issue. This has nothing to do with where you fall on the line. See, the political realm was meant to be a vehicle in which we protect and safeguard, not the opposite. See, the issue of abortion should never be the vehicle into which we create public policy. Public policy should be the vehicle into which we safeguard the the people around us, the people in our government. Not the other way around. You know, abortion isn't even a personal issue. I hear all the time in my work, well, I don't believe in abortion. I don't think abortion is right. But if that person wants to do it, that's on them. See, abortion isn't this political issue where we say, if it's not right for me, it's not right for me. But if it's right for someone else, then it's, then it's right for them. See, abortion and the issue of life is a father heart of God issue. It's something that the father who sits on the throne, the same one that we said you're worthy of it all. This issue is a father heart of God issue. And what I love, what I absolutely love, is that he's a father There's no coincidence that when we talk about how God feels about the unborn, that one of his names is Father. I mean, that's not a coincidence. There are no coincidences in the kingdom of heaven. He's a father, and he has a father's heart. And the very last thing that's written in the Old Testament is a prophecy. And he says, You'll know I'm coming when I turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. See, what God is doing in our nation is not a political thing. 
It's a holy thing. It's a prophetic thing that's going to usher in the return of Jesus. He's turning the hearts of the fathers back to their children. God has given me the privilege, as I've said yes to him in this, that he's taking me to places that I never imagined that he would take me. Just last year, he took me um, to Africa to teach in Africa, to challenge pastors in Africa that they cannot keep sweeping this issue under the rug, that they cannot outcast these women, that they have to be the church that God has called them to be. I met with young people and strategized with them. How can we reach the, the women who, who are choosing abortion? I never had, had ever dreamed that it would go beyond the four walls of, of the pregnancy center. But he's taking me all these places. And I sat one morning as I was watching the sun come up in Africa, the same sun that we see here. And I was just amazed by how God is orchestrating everything. And I was preparing to preach in front of these pastors. I mean, the Lord revealed something to me in Psalm 139. I was reading it and I'm, I'm pro-life. And so Psalm 139 just kind of is our thing. Um, we just kind of love Psalm 139. But God did something in that moment. See, he took something that I had a revelation on, and he added to that. I love his word. His word never grows old. It never um, is old news. It's never old wineskin. That if we are constantly hungry before him, he adds to that thing every day. And I had a revelation out of Psalm 139. It says that while you were physically building me in my mother's womb, you set every single day out from that place. And the presence of the Lord came in a mighty way. And he said, Savannah, in a womb, I am not only building a physical frame, but I'm setting every single day of that physical frame out from the first breath that they'll ever take to the last breath that, I'll, that they'll ever take, the Lord builds those days the same way that he builds the physical frame. And so when an abortion happens, it is not just removing a physical frame. It's removing every single day that that physical frame will ever walk on this earth. Everything that he is creating that physical body to do is destroyed in that same moment. See, this is not just about ending the, um, the heartbeat of a human frame. This is about ending a life. Whether that life was supposed to exist for 36 hours or 36 years or 100 years. In the moment that we choose to see life ended. Not only are we seeing life ended in that moment, we're seeing every day that that life was supposed to exist in. Then I began to, you know, from the moment that the Lord began to open my heart, I began to carry this weight. The Bible says they're looking for just one to stand in the gap. And when the door opened for me to come to the pregnancy center, I had this, this holy fear in me. Because I carried this weight and this love for the unborn, what was I going to do when I had to sit in front of someone who is contemplating 
abortion for their unborn child. I wrestled with that. If I can be honest, I wrestled with that. I was scared to death. The first time I ever had to go into a room and sit with a cross from a woman who was thinking about abortion, if I'm honest, I didn't know how I was going to love that person. And it wasn't out of this hate-filled heart. It was out of this simple place of, God, this is what I've given my life to. I've given my life to seeing the unborn protected. I've, I've laid and I've cried and I've fasted and I've contend- contended and I've prayed. But how am I going to look this woman in the eye and have compassion on her? It scared me to no end. And I remember the first time I ever went into a client room and sat across from a woman. And I just, I I mean, I was shaking, physically shaking. I had my clipboard in my hand, and I'm thinking, Lord, there's no way that I can do this. And she came in from finishing her pregnancy test, and she sat in front of me. And she uttered the words that I was so scared to hear. She said, Savannah, I've had seven abortions. But in that moment, something came over me. And I looked at this woman, and I wasn't angry. I wasn't mad. See, if this was a political issue, I would have been mad because I was right and she was wrong. And see, if this was a personal issue, I would have been mad because I was justified and sanctified and she was unclean. But in that moment, with just me and her, it was a father heart of God moment. The Lord moved in my heart and gave me compassion And from that point, I realized that pro-life isn't about the, the, the issue of abortion. It doesn't really just stop and start there. See, if we are going to be a pro-life people, we have to be exactly that, pro-life. We have to be pro every single life. Because it's not our opinion anymore. It's the opinion of the king. And the king says that I've created every single person in the inward inward most precious sacred parts of a mother's heart. And I created them for my pleasure and for my purpose. See, abortion's not just this issue that people get to stand on either side of. It's saying that I am pro what Jesus sees in every single human being that I come into contact with. And I came to this place where I realized that as pro-life people, that we have put a burden on women in our society See, what Jesus revealed to me was how can we expect these women to value a life growing inside of them when they don't even value their own lives? How can we sit across from these women? Or how can we, um, you know, be the pro-life community if we value the unborn child more than we do the mother? 
Jesus sees no difference. Jesus sees no lines. Jesus sees a hurt and broken human being carrying a soon-to-be broken, hurting human being. He makes no distinction. So what I feel like the ministry that Jesus has given to me is to show women their value so that they can value. And I can't walk out in, in, in the public without this overwhelming notion of every person around me is valuable to the king. See, this is so much more than the political issue of an unborn child. While that is vastly, vastly important to the father heart of God, so are the waitresses that you're going to come into contact with when you go out to eat. So are your neighbors. See, I was at the burn on Friday, and I was just before the the Lord and in worship and in prayer, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to share? And he said, I want you to talk about the Good Samaritan. And I said, Lord, really? Like, everybody knows that story. Everybody knows the Good Samaritan story. Everybody knows that one. I don't want to talk about the Good Samaritan. But I'm in this season um, where I'm studying the Hebrew and the Greek translations, and the Lord is blowing my mind. See, here in America, in, in the English language, it's kind of the, um, the dumb language of the world. <laughs> Let's be honest. We have the word love. And when you go to Africa, there's 16 different words that mean love. We love pizza the same way that we love our husbands and our wives. There's no distinction in words. So while I'm thankful of having a Bible in my own language, I'm reading the Bible in the original Greek and Hebrew, and I'm realizing that our language does no justice. So I began to read Friday night about the Good Samaritan it's Luke 10.25. And this man is sitting before Jesus. You know, and I, I feel like we give this guy a bad rap. Because he is sitting and he's listening to Jesus. He's a lawyer. I think that's where, he, where we started off on the wrong foot. That he's a lawyer and so we automatically put him into a category. If we're being honest. And the lawyer says to Jesus, how might I be justified? I've read your word. This is the Savannah translation. So I do recommend going back and reading the translation. So this is the Savannah Martin translation, the SMT. I like that version. It's very humorous. So this lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, I I know your word. But how do I justify myself? And see, here's where the the English language fails us because we look at this guy and we say, man, you're just wanting to get out easy. You just want to justify the way you're living. But see, that word justify actually has a different meaning in the Greek. 
See, what this man was actually saying to Jesus is, Jesus, I want to live justly before you. How do I do that? I'm like, man, that guy was on. He had a moment with Jesus, flesh to flesh, human to human, and he was going to take that moment to ask him, how do I live justly before you? I want to live righteously, and I want to live justly before you. How do I do that? I think that that's something that we should all ask Jesus face to face. Because we have a lot of preconceived ideas on how we live justly before him. He said, how do I administer justice to those around me? And by the way, who's my neighbor? See, he understood the law. He he had read the law. He was a smart man, and the law was written, physically written. He probably wore one of those box thingies. (sighs) Physically written on him was the law. He understood it. But in this moment, the man understood that he needed a revelation behind the law. See, we can't just read Jesus' words and assume that we know what he was thinking. We have to have a revelation behind the law to actually put momentum behind what he's calling us to. You know, that word neighbor in the most simplest form means the ones that are near us. The ones that are near When I read that, it's like Pandora's box came open, and I'm like, holy moly, every person that comes near to me exists in what Jesus was saying. And Jesus began telling this man a story. I love that it's never straightforward with Jesus. He always kind of gives. It's like my dad when I was little, and I needed to know how to spell a word. Like, he could never just spell the word for me. He just handed me a dictionary. I love that with Jesus. He gives us room to wrestle with the things that he's saying. Jesus began to tell a parable about a man that was on a journey. And in the midst of being on that journey, he was encompassed, surrounded by thieves. Let me tell you that many of the women who are considering abortion in our community and in our nations are on this journey that we call life, and they've been encamped and surrounded by thieves, by the enemy of our souls. He's encamped them. And see, these thieves stripped these, this man of everything that he had, his dignity. They beat him, and they, they left him half dead. And I'm standing here as a witness to tell you that I have sat across from women who are half dead. They've been stripped of their dignity. They have been stripped of everything that they have. They've been wounded, deeply, deeply wounded. It is my conviction that I stand upon that no woman in her heart of hearts would ever choose abortion. And I know that probably ruffles your feathers a little bit, but I believe 100% that God did not create woman with any part of her that would want to make her kill her unborn child. What I do believe is that these women have been stripped of their dignity. They have been wounded to the point where they are half dead. 
I know that because I've sat across from hundreds of them. And three people came up to this man. The first, a priest. You know this story. But Jesus doesn't choose his words by accidents. He carefully picks out the words that he says. And he says, a priest by the new covenant is anyone who's been washed clean. See, you and I are priests. We have the priestly identity, as Hebrews has stated. And so he wasn't saying the pastor's. Or the elite, he was saying, you and I in our priestly duties have walked by someone on the side of the road before and chosen to walk around them. I've done it. Then next came the Levite. This is the most humbling part of this story. Do you guys know what the Levitical, the main Levitical duty was? The Levites were those who were chosen to take care of the temple. And the number one duty of the Levite was to open and shut the temple doors. But see, this Levite, he was so focused on his job to shut and open the doors of the temple, the doors of the presence, that he missed an opportunity. See, he walked right by. He missed the opportunity to open the heavenly temple, to open the presence of Lord before this man. See, he walked by. How many times in the name of going somewhere to open up the doors of heaven to someone else, do we miss the opportunity that Jesus has given us to the ones that have drawn near to ourselves, that Jesus has brought around us? Do we unintentionally shut the door of heaven to those people? The Bible says, woe to you who shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Neither you nor them enter. I do not ever, ever, ever want to be a door shutter in my life. And then the good Samaritan comes along. And Samaritans are the um, people who don't have it all together. They're the ones that slip into church 20 minutes late. They're the ones who are one foot in and one foot out. They served idols and they were marrying into the Jewish faith. And I'm not condoning an idol walk. But I remember being in that place where I said, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to offer to these women. I don't know how to love these women. I've never been in the place where they've been. I don't have children. I'm not in extreme poverty. What can I possibly do? And this man, he did the same thing that these other two men did. He looked. But in that moment, that's where the difference happened. It says that he was filled with compassion. And that Greek word for compassion is the same word that describes our bowels. I don't know about you, but when I'm having a bowel movement... I'm moving to the bathroom. I'm not going to stay where I'm at. (laughs) 
If I'm having a bowel movement, made up. If we, a bowel movement means that something is on the move in our bowels. I mean, people have pulled their cars over and gone into fields. This is not something that you can sit and wait on. But see, don't we, do we get it? This man was having a movement in his heart, and he could not stand still anymore. He couldn't stand to not move. Have you ever been in that place where the heart of the Father is moving so much that you are literally maybe having a bowel movement out of your mouths? I've been there. I've been there. In fact... I'm going to tell this story, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll be done. And I, I know that they wouldn't mind me sharing this with you because they're com- becoming like family to me. See, it's important for us at the pregnancy center and at Heartbeat to protect our clients' um, identity. And if we ever share anything about our clients, it's because they've given us permission. These women need to feel safe and secure. I got a phone call a couple weeks ago, and this lady is um, inquiring about her her um, daughter that she has legal guardianship over, and she's bringing her in for a pregnancy test. And she said, um, she said, my wife and I do not want our daughter to have an abortion. And I said, this woman is a lesbian. She said, we're coming in. And I I talked to her, and I prayed with her over the phone, and she said, we're coming in, and we're scared, and our 16-year-old daughter is scared. But would you meet with us? I said, sure, sure, absolutely. So they came in later that afternoon, and I I am freaked out. I'm like, God, what do I possibly have to offer a lesbian couple with their 16-year-old daughter who's pregnant out of wedlock? I mean, if we can be honest... (laughs) That goes pretty much against every single thing that we as Christians believe in. How do I sit across the line from someone and help them in this situation? I mean, I prayed. I had my staff pray over me. I prayed again. I mean, I had retired every option of prayer. Like, to me, this was a sackcloth and ashes moment. And I had no sackcloth, and I had no ashes. And they came in, and we did the pregnancy test, and we shared, I shared with them, and we got her in for an ultrasound, and everything is going really great, and I, I bring them back in, and we're sitting in the, the client room, and one of the very last things that we, um, we do at the pregnancy center, because we believe in life and life everlasting. We believe that it's our job not only to help this woman in the decision of life that she has, but we believe that it is our job also to present life everlasting to them. And so we always make an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in my mind, I'm literally shaking. Like, how am I going to do this? So I just ask, you know, do you you guys go to church? (laughs) And this partner of this this woman looks at me and she goes, we've been, but we don't ever feel welcomed. 
And all of a sudden, I was having a compassion bowel moment. My mouth opened, and I uttered the words. And as they were coming out of my mouth, I was terrified that they were coming out of my mouth. I said, do you guys want to go to church with me on Easter? I could not believe that the words were coming out of my mouth. And all three of them started to cry. And they said, we don't, we don't think that your church would want us. Another bowel movement of the mouth. I said, absolutely, we want you there. So in a few weeks, my new lesbian couple friends, their 16-year-old daughter and her boyfriend, who are having a child outside of marriage, are going to walk into the four walls of the church that I call home. And that, my friends is what it means to be pro-life. We have got to think outside of the box. We have to stop putting these things inside of the four walls of comfortability. We've got to open up the box and say, Jesus, I want to love every single person that you bring near to me. The last thing I want to say is, is that I can never stand in, in, in a public place with a microphone when I'm talking about the issue of abortion without the glaring statistics in my face. One in four women who sit in the churches of America are post-abortive. What that means is that, is that there are women who sit in the midst of our worship every single week and they're hurting desperately desperately hurting these are women that god has drawn near to you let me tell you it is our job to come to them like the good samaritan maybe we don't know how to minister to them maybe we don't understand but we do have a responsibility to bind their wounds to put them up to carry them. There is hope and there is healing. And if you've experienced abortion, I want you to know that this is a community and where you can be free. I know that Pastor George and I know that Sarah want to pray with you. And the best thing that you can do is to be open and to share that. And I know that that's a scary place. But God wants to give you your testimony back. He wants to see you healed, whole, and set free because your testimony is the testimony of Jesus that's going to allow others to be set free. Do not let him rid you of your testimony anymore. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're the God of life and life everlasting. God, I pray that we would be ones who would never shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. God, thank you for the ones that you've drawn near to us. God, thank you that you drew us near to you. We can love because you first loved us. In Jesus' name.